Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 136, and we're interviewing JC. How are you doing this morning, Jay? I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Can't complain? Well, I guess you probably could, but who would listen, right? Right. That's that's pretty much what it is. I'll do it anyway. Yeah. So you're up in Canada, huh? I am. I am. I'm from, uh, I'm a northern boy. I uh, moved about 10 years ago uh, okay. down south in the uh, London area. And uh, yeah, haven't looked back. All right. So let's yeah. dive in here and get started. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Let's talk about that. All right, well, uh, as far as I can go back, I can say that uh, I had a pretty good childhood. Um, my dad was a hard worker. He worked at a wood factory his whole life. You know, he's a 35-year man in there. Um, but on the other hand, <clears throat> my um, my mom was very, very sick, very, very insecure, um so she uh she was never treated for it so my dad was never really home but he always made sure that we had a home and he always made sure we had food and all the good stuff um we uh so I ended up uh living in a home that my dad bought and then my sister was born now when my sister was born she was born uh, very, very, very sick. So she ended up with cerebral palsy to the point where my dad couldn't afford the bills anymore. Uh, so he had to sell the house. Um, my mom did a lot of resentments on that. Uh, she uh, decided that, uh, you know, she didn't want her there. She did some pretty crazy things. Your mom didn't want your sister there? Yeah, she didn't want my sister there. Uh, Life was kind of falling apart. She was taking it out on us uh, emotionally, not so much physically. Uh, But I was so young that I just didn't understand specifically what was going on. What kind of things would she do? So she would just like, uh, you know, I, I would go into the fridge and I would take a banana or any kind of fruit. And she'd be like, no, that's for your sister. No, that's for your sister, right? So I was I was being um, told basically like, you're not really gonna eat anything um, unless, you know, I tell you, you can eat it. So, she was never like that when my dad was home, but she was like that when he wasn't. So that being said, um, we lost the house. My dad lost his car. 
he uh things just kind of spiraled out of control we ended up in a bad neighborhood um he he was still trying his best to keep a roof over our heads my mom as sick as she was had to do uh more like uh going to Ottawa, going to Toronto for all this intensive care stuff for my sister and things like that. So that left me behind. That, that, that left me with a sense of abandonment. And uh, so my dad had to work and I was always constantly getting dropped off at uh, my, my uncle's. And he was a real prick. You know, he wasn't very nice. Uh, he uh, used to throw us out at minus 40 with no shoes and say, you know, this is where you're going to end up if you uh, don't smarten up and stuff like that. I think he was drunk most of the time. I don't know. But uh, I can remember my cousins uh, sneaking me uh, food because him too, he was like, he was one of those cheapskates where he would constantly watch um, how much money he's spending on stuff. So he's a real cheapskate like that. So we weren't allowed to really do much about that. Um, and apparently, I found out later that my there, there was more to that situation than what it was. So, you know, I guess my dad's past, my mom's past uh, caught up with me. So well, well, there was more to it. What was that? So my dad... Um, I guess what ended up happening is, is in his life, he uh, rolled a car and killed someone and got sued. And the home that he sold was actually a gift from my grandfather. So there was a lot more going on. And it was all being taken out on me. Because I could, I didn't even stand a chance. I didn't stand a chance in life because of I'm a reflection of him and my mom. So my dad said, you know what? I'm just going to put in more time. He says, I got to get you out of this situation. Uh, my mom came back and then uh, he decided that hockey was something that I should get into. So he put on some skates he taught me how to play hockey and he found out I was really good at it. So he's like, you know what? This is what we're going to do, me and you, right? This is going to be our thing. I was like, perfect. So he always made time to get me into hockey. And, uh, you know, as I was going through, you know, uh, NOHA hockey, uh, traveling teams, things like that, um, it always seemed like it was me and my dad and the fact that my mother, uh, every time I would come home, would make me feel bad about the situation, make me feel bad about playing hockey, making me feel bad about, you know, like you should be home. You, this is selfish. Nah, nah, nah. And all her insecurities would start sort of coming out at my dad. So my dad would take that beating for me, right? Like he would tell her to shut her mouth and like, that's it, right? Like we're going to play hockey. So it, it went on like that for a little while. I uh, 
sort of expanded into it. You know, I played with some, uh, some guys that are in the NHL now. I'm not going to mention names there, but uh, that's awesome. That's super cool. I, I, I'm a hockey fan. Well, I don't watch it anymore, but uh, growing up, I played hockey. I was a defenseman. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I love it. It was a great experience. Um, you know, uh, we we love the life um, and all that stuff. So it was like, it was just, it was for us, right? Like we loved it. And I made a lot of good friends out of it. Um, some are uh, alive, some are dead um, due to addiction. Um, and some are on their way out. And it's really uh, sad to uh, say, but I'll get into that after. Um, so now I'm about, I would say, 13. And I'm still playing hockey. Um, you know, my mom's still really sick. We've moved about three or four times. Um, I start getting in with a bad crowd of guys because I start playing on the outside rink. And when I say bad guys, they're not really bad, but they are like on the road to like smoking cigarettes, uh, doing pot, you know, uh, things like that, um, you know, stealing and all that kind of stuff. So I started playing the outdoor hockey and I met up with these guys. I thought they were my friends and everything. And everything was going to be good. But then after that, uh, get pulled over by the cops. And uh, apparently I had some paraphernalia on me or something like that. And I had no idea. I didn't get charged. Nothing like that. What do you mean but you had no idea that you had paraphernalia on you? Well, because I found a pipe of uh, like marijuana. So that pipe uh, was my friend's. And they used to go to this certain spot. And then, so I went to that spot to see if they were there. And I, I saw that. So I picked it up and I put it in my pocket so that the next time that I see him, I'd give it to him. But as I was walking, I guess the cops were watching that spot and they figured I was all doped up. So I get stopped. It was actually a dare uh, officer that stopped. So he's like, well, you're not high or anything. So he talked to my dad. My dad's like, no, you're not going down this road and da, 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 da. And then like, I started to push back. Right? I was like, no, this is it. You know, like I've had enough of this. I'm gonna, I'm pushing back. I'm doing what I want to do. And uh, you guys are just like screwing up my life. You know, that's how I felt. There was so much blame there, right? I'm like, you're just screwing up my life. Everything I'll, everything you're showing me is wrong. And that's how I felt. And my mom was so sick, you know, and I, I couldn't stand her anymore. So I left. I, I left home. I left home and uh, at 14 years old. And uh, me and my friend, we decided to get a little place of our own and you know, uh, we had to figure out how to eat and how to do things. And so we did and uh, started skateboarding and started getting into that crowd and things like that. Uh, took, a, took a little bit of time off of hockey. And then, uh, then the drugs came in and then 
the alcohol. So they kind of came hand in hand. And uh, so we used to sit under, you know, school buses and, uh, you know, drink a case of beer and then go uh, snowboarding, you know. So <laughs> that's that's how that kind of went down. And uh, so I, it, it sort of went into that. So that's where my darkest times were. I ended up uh, having to steal uh, to eat. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I did, I was drunk. So, you know, doing car hopping, doing things like that. And then all of a sudden I would be waking up and I'd be in the jail cell. And then the, the police officer. Yeah. What age were the, was the first time you started using? 14. So it's 14. Yeah. That's what it sounds yeah, yeah. I'm still, uh, I'm still at the uh, 14 range. Gotcha. Um, 14 to 18 was basically my darkest time. Um, so I, uh, I ended up in a uh, jail cell and the cops like, do you know what you did yesterday? And I was like, I know, you know, I obviously it was bad. I'm in here. So I ended up going to prison with like a whole bunch of, whole bunch of charges that I didn't even know what was going on. So the first stretch I did was, uh, I would say that was an eight months. I did eight months that what time. Did, what were you accused of? I was accused of uh, uh, theft under 5,000 and uh, destruction of property. And I was uh, the other one there, private, like uh, private property, because like, I was on other people's property. So they got me for that too. Um, but the, that was the list, right? It was just like theft over, theft under, theft over, theft under. And it just, they just slap me with the book. So I did eight months for that. Um, sobered up in there, not by choice. Um, did some AA meetings. NA was the good little boy there and uh, came out, said to myself, I'd never do it again. It's as if I forgot the whole experience, right? I forgot it all. So right back to it, right? Went right back to my friends, same guys, same girls, you know, and uh, ended up uh, back in a jail cell, spun right out of control. Good old-fashioned old saying is you are who you hang around with. Yeah, you are who you hang around with. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that still didn't quite, you know, dawn in on me, you know, and I ended up back in a jail cell, going into another prison, you know, and that kind of that kind of circle of life followed me until one party. So I went to a party and I had a bag of pot and a 40 ouncer of Jack Daniels. I was by myself at my house debating whether or not to go to this party. So I go to this party and I start seeing my old hockey friends there. And one of my friends has got a piece of tin foil, and he's uh, doing one of these. You know, he's smoking out of it. And I was like, what the heck is that, man? 
like, what are you doing? You know? So he's like, uh, oh, this is, uh, this is uh, whatever it is. So I end up hammering that back, blackout, complete blackout. I'm on probation. I step out of that house and the cops ransack me like I'm a, like I'm a murderer. They actually kick my ass like really bad where I had like big welt on the side of my face. And uh, so, so that day um, I go to the judge, the judge sees me and he says, you know what, Mr. Chartrand, he says, you want to change? You think you're ready? I said, yeah, I'm ready. I said, you know, this is the bottom of the barrel right here. I'm like, enough's enough. So he sent me to treatment. So I did a four-month treatment and uh, found out a lot about myself in that treatment center where, uh, you know, the uh, the whole mind, heart, uh, I didn't have it, right? It was, I was thinking with this, never with my heart. So I learned that a lot of women in my past, you know, in specific, you know, uh, no love. There was never any love. It was just fly by night, sleeping with them, walk away, keep moving forward. You know, some women fell in love with me to the point of, you know, like, uh, I don't understand why. Right. And that mm. was sort of like an amends that I had to make. Right. And it's like, listen, I just didn't know how to love. I just didn't know how to do these things. You know, I thought this was all just one big party, you know? So it's, uh, that, that was pretty crazy. And, uh, so I come out of that treatment center and, um, after that, uh, I figured I got my life sorted out. Right. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I meet this woman. I finally learn how to love. Meet this woman. This woman is uh, the wrong woman to love. I'll tell you that, you know, because she took me for everything and anything she could and threw me to the dumpster. Um, that's the time, you know, like my mind was still drunk. You know, I was just paranoid. I was I didn't know what to do with all these emotions that I finally started to feel. So treatment gave me the tools, but I didn't know how to apply them. So it, it came out really, really bad. Um, I stayed with this woman for eight years. I didn't hit her, didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Just that emotional stress that I had and I didn't know how to do it uh, came out wrong. It just came out all wrong. So um, I, I, I stayed on that for a long time. Uh, when I left, I, uh, my heart was like, I couldn't believe it, right? Like, I, so I went right back to the beer. I started drinking again, right back out. And this time, uh, it was different. Now I was of age, right? Now I'm 19 years old, 20 years old. Now it's bar time, right? So started getting into the bar life and uh, cocaine and speed and booze and just blowing my paychecks, you know, uh, 
women all over the place. You were doing some pretty hard drugs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anything to give you a kick to keep on drinking. (laughs) Like that's that's all that was about. Right. Friday night came and uh, it was uh, it was time to go. Right. Relieve all that stress of the week and uh, whatever. Right. So, you know, bar fights came with that. Uh, a lot of ego, right? You know, that's my girl. This is that, and all this stuff going on in in that life itself, right? So, uh, as that went on, as that progressed, um, I uh, I met a woman uh, that uh, was sort of struggling, like I was. She has her own story. Um, we ended up getting married. Um, she she was one of the reasons uh why today i can say that um i'm i'm proud of who i am because she she didn't do it Um, yeah, so I was proud, uh, of myself for the specific reason that she stood by me, uh, through thick and thin, uh, we ended up having, uh, two kids together. She had, um, four or five, yeah, five kids. Um, before I was still you, in a that, that was number six. Yeah. Yeah. So six, yeah. Um, so I was still in turmoil. I was still in a lot of turmoil. And um, the kids, uh, you know, that's another story um, for the fact that uh, what their father did. And uh, so with well, that, I was their, still drinking. What did their father do? Beat them with belts, uh, starved them very selfish. He was, uh, active addiction, uh, teaching him cruelty to animals, uh, just going through all that kind of stuff. Like they have their own story there. You know, it's, it's really hard to fathom how a father can actually do that to their kids. Um, so it's uh we ended up going to court anyway because basically child family services uh came to the door and uh they asked me they said well we'll work with you i said okay good but i had a beer in my hand they're like well you need to put down the beer i'm like fuck you <laughs> right bottom line like no i, I earned this right freaking earn this beer man i just worked 10 hours screw you you're gonna tell me i can't have a beer and freaking raise my kids you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, they, uh, they decided to say that, uh, well, that's your priority. Say goodbye to your kids. So that's what happened. They ended up taking the kids, uh, all of them. So I was like, I was in even more turmoil now. Now I was really like, you know, egotistic and 
really hitting the bottle and just justifying everything, you know, that it's everybody else's fault. I was blaming it on my my wife. I was blaming it on my parents. I was blaming it on God. I was blaming wherever the blame can be. That's where it went, you know, but it was never me. It wasn't my fault. You know, I was doing right. I was, uh, I was working. I was, you know, providing uh, with money, uh, roof over your head, food in the fridge. You know, I had I this was the same this, way. I was the same way. And it's amazing how your brain can trick you into thinking these things. Because you, yeah. truly, you truly believe them at the time. I know I did. I was doing good at work. I showed up on time and I didn't hit my girlfriend or anything. So I was good to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's like uh, I figured out how my headache is gone. And, you know, yeah. I got a little bit of stuff in me. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's like uh, I, I deserve this. And on weekends, I want to go to a strip club. I'm going to go to a strip club because I earned it. It's my money. You know, everybody else is fine. But, you know, so it was just, it was just one of those things. And it, and it sort of like started to down spiral for me. And uh, I ended up uh, catching a break because my dad's like, look, we got to get you your kids back. But you got to be ready to do it. Right? He was always there to catch me. So he ended up getting me uh, an apartment out here. And uh, I ended up smashing a window and calling on eight guys and having a piece of glass come right through my hand. Um, completely blocked out drunk. Uh, got a 10-day notice. Had to move out. Had nowhere to go. Right? So I uh, reached out to uh, the mental health. They found me uh, emergency housing. Um, so I ended up in a one bedroom with two dogs and everything like that. And this whole time, my wife was still around making sure that I ate, making sure that, you know, things were going, but every time she wasn't there, a blackout, something would happen and bang, there you go. Right. Um, so I was like, I couldn't believe it. Right. So even then, uh, trying to go to my visitations, uh, with uh, to go see the kids and everything like that, I basically fucking pushed it away. I was like, no, I don't deserve to be in that room. I don't deserve to have to be guided through being a parent. There's no book to being a parent. They can't tell me, you know, super egotistic. So what do I do? I find 10 grand. I start a business. Worst mistake I ever did. At the time, super drunk, stupid, not going to visit to see my kids, uh, not doing the bare minimum requirements that they're asking me to do. Um, so I try to get this business going, try to, you know, I figure if I can buy a house, do this, do that, um, they'll just give them to me, right? Because I'm, I'm stable. So I, uh, yeah, I don't know where that mental part came in, but, uh, so, uh, the day of reckoning came and my lawyer hit me with papers stating that these kids, your youngest can be adopted out and that's, what's going to happen. And the other ones are going to be in foster care because they're unadoptable.
So you were so, saying your kids were unadoptable. Yeah. Um, so when we got into the court, uh, that's what ended up happening. They asked me to, uh, to willingly do it. So, so I didn't have to hear the judge and his nasty comments and stuff, trying to save face. At the time, I thought that was right because, you know, Eagle was playing into that. I was like, it's been playing this far, so lost them all, you know, lost every single one of them. My, uh, my youngest one ended up adopted, everything like that. That still wasn't enough. Still wasn't enough. I uh, still hard-headed, went back to the booze, um, went to uh, another treatment center. Uh, just down south here, Westover. And uh, I was broken, absolutely broken. Just, you know, 45 days wasn't cutting it. Not, not, for, the, not for the pain that I had. So, you know, get out of there. I figure I got it all sorted out, you know, 12 steps, all that. They gave me the whole teacher thing about it. And uh, so I come out full of energy. Yeah, I, I took that energy and put it back into drinking. So um, went back out for a year. November 14th, uh, a year after, this would have been uh, 2017. Stopped in 2018. Um, my... My... Uh, my son, not the one that got adopted, but my oldest son, uh, he ended up going that route, uh, going into the dope and the booze and the things and figuring out everything was okay because that's what he saw. And when I saw that, it was a reflection. It was like a reflection to me that you're my reflection of my failure, not yours, my failure. Now that I turn my finger on me and I can say, you know what? This is me. Um, this is my doing and accept that. But watching it is, is another thing. It's very, very hard because I know how angry they are. Because now that you're sober, why couldn't you do it then? And for that, it doesn't comprehend in their heads. But they're coming back into my life at their own pace, you know? And that's okay. You know, I've learned to deal with that because of the circumstances that I was not prepared mentally. But I have to be willing and ready to hear whatever they have to say to me. Because I deserve it, right? That's how I feel. Um, so they're still around. I'm, I'm like an angel on their shoulder. When they ask, I'm there. When they don't, I pull back. And that's that's how I that's how our relationships work. So I got sober. Been sober for uh, about three years, nine months now. And, uh, I mean, life is great. 
clear-minded. I mean, it's 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 just living the dream now. I uh, started my business. I, you know, clear-minded, going to meetings. Um, got myself a sponsor. I, I'm trying to do right, one day at a time. Um, I stick with whatever uh, is uncomfortable because I know comfortable for me brings me to a place that doesn't that doesn't work so as i've been trying to do the uncomfortable i've learned who i am in the process so that i can slow my mind make this hit this 18 inches from here to here, it's a lifetime. But now I got it. I'm learning how to use both. And I think that's important is that sometimes our emotions get the best of us, but we have to remember it's us. You know, it's the disease. It's part of it. And if you can, if you can take that and accept that, and even with all the stuff that's happening through your life for me and wake up, thank God, ask for forgiveness, go to a meeting, talk to someone and forgive yourself. There's no greater reward at the end of the day. It's it's such a beautiful life compared to being so egotistic and losing everything and being uh, righteous of yourself instead of being righteous for the right reasons. And whatever those reasons are to everybody, they're different, you know? So for me, it's one day at a time. I love my wife, I take care of my family, and I keep moving forward, and I keep trying. And I don't see myself ever going back to, uh, to a drink. I stick with the steps. That's my line of defense towards anything in life. I did them in order. Now, I just work them. I, I read the big book. I read the 12 and 12 so that everything makes sense. But I don't plug in to a certain degree that that's all I'm thinking about. Because I quit, to dr I quit drinking and doing drugs to live not to die. So that's something that I uh, have to believe. Like I believe, not have to, I believe that 
I can use the tools within AA and all the books and all the wisdom around me so that I can better my life. It's a wee program, but we got to live it. If we're not living it, I don't know. I don't know what happens because, and I don't want to know what happens. You know, I, I just hope that one day somebody can realize that life is beautiful and you don't need that stuff in your life. You really don't. You just good friends, good family, clean fun. You know, I was scared to go camping because I, I put all my alcohol and everything that into everything that I love to do. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm scared to go to the, to camping. That's an uncomfortability. I'm doing it. I'm going to try it. And I went, sit by a fire, no drinks, right? No nothing. Just clean fun. Good, good time. Walked away from that, not even thinking about, you know, the case of beer. I actually, for the first time in my life, was able to enjoy the fire and actually remember everything, you know? So that, that was a huge positive on my part. And there's just other certain things that I'm doing in my life that I involved all. And now I'm learning how to do it without the alcohol and enjoy it. And that's what's important to me. Like even watching hockey, right? It came with gambling. It came with uh, alcohol. It came with uh, big parties like that. Uh, I couldn't even watch hockey. I was scared to watch hockey. Now I watch hockey and I watch it with a clear mind and it's awesome because I'm actually enjoying the game and I'm not, you know, going into a self-pity mode where it's like my team's losing. Blah, blah, blah. That means I got to drink more, right? Oh, they didn't win the Stanley Cup. So that, that allows me to drink two cases of beer. So, you know, it's, uh, it's what an experience when you start working those steps and you start living and you actually don't let it control you. You control it. It's freaking great. You know, in my opinion, that's how I feel about that. So thanks a lot, Jim, for letting me do this. I appreciate it. Oh, you, you did great today. You did great. You're doing service work, so it's always important. Step 12, right? That's right. Paying her forward. Absolutely. And that's that's how I feel. You know, I really want to I really want to try to send a, a positive message to uh, to struggling out there that there is life and there is light at the end of the tunnel. You You just have to you just have to want it and believe it. Believe that you're worth it. Believe that your life means something. And whatever that meaning is, find it. Because once you do, don't let it go and keep moving forward. If one day at a time is too much, 
one minute at a time, one breath at a time, whatever it takes to get through that urge so that we can start thinking clearly about our situation. And we can't make decisions when the insanity is in our heads, right? And if we're self-talking to each other, um, the way my sponsor tells me, you're talking to an idiot, you know? Talk to somebody else. Don't, don't get in your head. And don't start answering your own questions. Because if you're asking yourself that question, chances are you don't know the answer. And an idiot's going to answer. So don't do it. Yeah. Right? That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just one of those. It's just these little tricks that I pick up through my time being sober you know there's never a solution there's never a solution uh drinking uh or doing drugs there's never a solution whether it's a good day whether it's a bad day whether it's a horrible day whether it, there is just no solution they there's no answers there if you want the answers talk to someone you know it's it's not going to the alcohol store and picking up a case of beer and sitting there and talking to an idiot because that's literally what you're going to do you know and i'm I, i've done that you know where i just sat on a chair sitting there looking at the sun talking to myself in my head thinking like i got this all figured out i got nothing figured out you know and that's there's just no solution you know when i have a good day i soak it in i love it I share it with the people I love and I'm blessed that I can do that. So, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of little things that, uh, that you can do for yourself and uh, to trick your mind into uh, sort of working it out, uh, spinning a negative into a positive. That's a big one. You know, uh, we have, a thousand reasons why we do things, you know, drink, drug, uh, girls, uh, gamble. We, we, we can, we can justify it in almost any way possible, but if we can find a one way not to, and start there, I think that's the way to go. Because if that one thing is stronger then and that's all we can hope for you already yeah. be, you already beat me to my last question my last question is usually do you have any advice for people and you already gave it that was great advice yeah i really yeah, thanks thanks yeah and it's just for today you know, a lot of people, well, all alcoholics, we tend to spin. We're spinners in our heads. So, you know, when we get involved in things, we, we, we go a 
100 miles an hour, whether it's a relationship, whether it's alcohol, whether it's anything. We, we are committed. We just go, you know, and we're stubborn about it too. So, and then all of a sudden we come up with some pretty creative ideas. You know, we're not stupid people. Uh, we're actually very intelligent people. And uh, some people don't seem to understand that. If we can take that energy and we can take that kind of commitment to the bottle, what's to say we can't take that to the real world, to where it matters, to do good with it, to make it right, whatever way right is for you. And that's how I spin it in my head. I, I spin a negative into a positive. I work on it every day with my meditation, keeping my conscious contact with God is extremely important. And then turning my will over. That's extremely important to me. I have to turn it over to him. You know, the fact that that step three is so important. Um, you know, a lot of people look at step three and say, okay, I, turn, I made the decision. I turned my will over to care of God. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. You know, to me, it's like a slideshow when it comes to the turning my will or making that decision. I've made the decision to turn it to him. But the emotions that I have are so strong that I need time to deal too. So I'll give them a little bit and then a little bit and a little bit. And eventually when I'm turning my will over to them, it's all gone. So, you know, a lot of people just have to understand, make the decision, feel what you need to feel and understand you're not alone. There's a lot of us out there feeling the same way. Just got to reach out. The hand of AA is always there. And that's, that's the most important thing. You know, go to meetings to get clarity. Feel what you need to feel there. Share what you need to share. If you feel that it's too heavy for a meeting, just take it to your sponsor. So important. And that's all I got. Thanks. No, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a good experience. Great. Great to hear. So that seems like a good place to wrap it up. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out at www.addicts-anonymous.com. There we have plenty of resources available as well as some approved literature. So there's a ton of free articles. And we're also on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So check us out on those platforms. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.